Everybody gets a piece, we're going mainstream. Everybody's gonna eat, we're going mainstream. All my family is singing. See you on mainstream, we're going mainstream. Wall Street to Melrose Avenue. We're going mainstream. Venture capitalists to athletes to creators. Today on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast, we're lucky enough to peer into one of the most exciting markets in the alt space, the early stage venture market in Europe. Levent Altunel and Enrico Onemuller are a big part of making alts go mainstream in Europe with their company Bunch. In Bunch, Levent and Enrico are building the operating system for private markets investing. They've brought their fantastic and relevant backgrounds to bear. Levent is a City alum and a VC investor at Paua Ventures, and Enrico is a Goldman alum and a builder at Finley where he helped build critical core banking and payments infrastructure, all of which will enable them to unlock the private markets for more investors and make these markets more efficient. Levent and Enrico have quickly figured out how to build the critical infrastructure for private markets in Europe while navigating a complex regulatory landscape and multiple jurisdictions. They've built compliant, regulated, end-to-end infrastructure to help founders roll up smaller investors and angels and VCs to efficiently and seamlessly raise capital and manage SPVs. They're coming off a recent 7 million euro round led by Cherry Ventures and have already grown in leaps and bounds at a time when alts are going mainstream in Europe. Levent and Rico and I had a fascinating conversation about why they believe SPVs are the atomic unit of value for private markets, how the seedification and decentralization of private markets has created the need for better private markets infrastructure, and how there are very big businesses to be built in the alt space that are hiding in plain sight. Levent and Enrico share a very thoughtful, nuanced view into the importance of private markets infrastructure, so any investor or founder will enjoy hearing their wisdom. Thanks, Levent and Enrico, for coming on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Hope you all enjoy. Levent, Enrico, welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Hey, thank you. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Awesome to be here. It's great to have you. Really excited about this conversation. Alts are going mainstream in Europe for a number of reasons. And with what you two are building at Bunch, you're really a big part of making that happen. I want to get into all of that and why and how you're building Bunch and how it's going to positively impact the European startup and venture ecosystem. But before we get into that, you both have fantastic backgrounds for building Bunch. Would love to hear from each of you how your personal experiences have shaped how you've decided to build Bunch. Levent, let's start with you. You were at a venture fund, you dealt with SPV raises. Would love to hear your background first, and then Enrico will go to you, given what you've built on the infrastructure side. Yeah, of course. Thank you. I started my career off in public markets. I worked for a big American bank as an equity analyst. Really loved thinking about companies and thought as an equity analyst, that's what you do all day. Realized that there's a lot of great things about public markets, especially standardization, like accessibility, etc. But when you work as an equity analyst, the actual company that you're looking at is not as important as I would have liked for it to be. So I moved away to private markets as a consultant, supporting not private equity funds and venture funds when they invested there. I could really dig into companies, their markets, their competitors. It was really, really interesting. 
at some point I thought, you know what, I'm actually ready to become an investor myself. And I moved and joined a venture fund. During my time there, I realized that the setting up of venture funds is just an incredibly painful process. It's super, super opaque. It's super expensive. It's kind of guarded by a couple of gatekeepers. And the problem is that basically all the stressful stuff is being packed into a three-week period where you're trying to close a deal. So setting up the SPV, setting up a bank account, speaking with a tax accountant, fund administrator, etc., etc., while trying to keep all the co-investors happy and the asset happy. It was an experience that I wouldn't wish my worst enemy. When I then looked across the pond and I saw what Angelist and Allocations and the Azure and the, all the other companies out there are doing, I thought, hey, this is amazing. Why don't we have this digital experience here in Europe when investing into private assets collectively? So last year, Rico and I got together and decided to do something about it. And Enrico, you were at Finleap before this. You built fintech infrastructure critical to Europe. Tell us about your background, how that led you to bunch meeting with Levent, having a meeting of minds about building this business. One step before Finleap, important to know, I think as a German, you need to be an engineer. Unfortunately, I studied mechanical engineering, not computer science. Started my career at Goldman, valued the time a lot, nevertheless realized Obviously, not tech, not venture. So moved back to Berlin, joined Finleap, moved to Finleap especially because, as you said, they were building something super special, building an amazing brand in the fintech space in Europe. More focused today is they're building very, very powerful infrastructure platforms that are a great piece in the puzzle of bringing the technology or the value that we want to bring to the customer to Europe currently, because we cannot do everything on our own. For example, banking as a service platforms like Solaris Bank are a big piece in order to enable alt platforms to exist and alt platforms to really be digital rather than service oriented. I worked as an associate for Ramin, the CEO, focusing on BAS, banking as a service and open banking platforms for one and a half years uh, in the trenches and then uh, one and a half years as head of innovation, which basically meant leading the product on Findeep level. Findeep, as you said, was a company builder. So the product responsibility was always within the company. Nevertheless, every bigger project relevant for the entire ecosystem was led by me. We did build a banking solution with, with our banking partner, Solaris. We built a fintech super app in the MENA region both of it showed me very, very clearly that I'm super excited about digital fintech products. And then unfortunately, or fortunately, Ramin decided to evolve FinLeap another time and become a venture fund, now called Embedded. Embedded was one of our first investors. In summer last year, Levin experienced the SPV creation process. In the same time, I experienced the reckoning because I, I didn't want to be an investor yet. I want to build digital products. And I said to Ramin, I think this is where it ends. And he said, if it ends, then start your own business. And if you start your own business, then definitely let me invest in it. This was how we started thinking about Bunch, how we started thinking about the private markets, how we thought about how Europe is uh, tremendously lacking behind. And it was right time. Venture and early stages are all about timing. I'm super happy to get Levent experiencing it from a customer's experience and me coming rather from a product perspective saying okay what actually can we build in order to solve this pain point and then october last year bunch confounded
I want to get to why you're up and why now, but before I do, Enrico, I want to ask you, how did your experience building banking as a service products, how did that influence how you've thought about the infrastructure for Bunch? Because you've seen innovation in public markets or digital banking, but maybe not yet with alts until recently. How has that experience shaped how you've thought about the building of Bunch from an infrastructure perspective? Simply said tremendously, before Corona hit, you saw clearly which players chose to work with existing infrastructure providers in order to enable financial service products. The world before, you were always saying, okay, I do everything myself. I need to own everything. And, and that's something that for me tremendously changed. Also coming from Goldman, going to a fintech, this was eye-opening because we worked a bit on Samsung Pay, which runs on Solaris in Europe, that runs on SoFi in the US. And if a big tech like this chooses a provider like Solaris to scale across Europe for a banking product for the retail, I was like, okay, this must be the solution and actually the momentum that you need from a tech perspective in order to open up alternative investment opportunities to a wider group of individuals. And in the end, this is the vision of Bunch, right? Giving more people access to an amazing asset class, but unfortunately, most don't know or cannot access. On that point, you mentioned giving people access to this incredible asset class. It feels like Europe is going through a moment where more people want access, the infrastructure is being built. You're obviously a part of that. And Levent, you mentioned how setting up funds is complex. It's a painful process. What's so unique about Europe and why now for SPV infrastructure? It's interesting. I think Europe is very different to the US. And yes, the EU is like a common market, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, but it's being regulated. And the regulations come from European directives to a large degree, but every state interprets it in their own way. That's the first thing. Then taxes work differently in each country. And also the investment process itself works very differently in each country. If you were to set up a fund, even in a country like Germany, the number of funds that have been set up over the last, let's say, decade is probably not even 10%, probably even less than that of the number of funds being set up in the US. And that's largely because the low volumes didn't really allow for standardization and a standardized process. And also the regulatory landscape is changing, but that's always the case. Now we are in a point, especially in the venture world, where everything has changed over the last four or five years in terms of venture as an asset class and its attractivity. You have a lot of success cases that you've never seen before. Those success cases in turn create returns that need to be redistributed, but also make it generally a more attractive asset class for a lot of people to invest into. So you have a large flow of capital into this asset class. And then people realize that it's not that easy to set up these investment entities and these investment funds. There's only a handful of lawyers that have done that on a regular basis and that know this thing inside out. If you're a small and up, upcoming investor who wants to set up their own fund, you have to hit minimum investment levels to even uh, be able to take a phone call with those people. This is why we think now is a great time to say, how about we use a standardized version of the venture fund? There's obviously compliance work that needs to be done and all of those things that are, are a bit less easy to standardize. But this one, I think, is a great way to start the whole journey. The good thing is that we have the examples in the US, like 
AngelList, who have really shown that it works. People are willing to invest via standardized contracts. And it has so many benefits. I've seen it in my career in public markets to just know how the contracts work that you are signing that increases liquidity, increases volumes that are being traded. We really hope that we will see the same thing in the old asset class as well in the future. Why do you think it didn't work in Europe for AngelList when they tried in the past? Four or five years ago, the asset class was not as attractive. There were a handful of funds that were really relevant in Europe. That has changed dramatically over the last two years. At the same time, the infrastructure was not at the stage where building this kind of product is, I don't want to say as easy as it is today, but it was definitely a lot more difficult than it is today. The other thing is Angelus had a lot to do in the US. They had a lot of opportunity to grow. There is still 50 states in the US, but they speak the same language. They use the same currency. They use the same regulations. And you can set up a Delaware Inc. and manage it from Miami. And that is the difference. So when they were facing the problem, I am 100% sure that they would have been able to solve it. But when you have limited resources, you focus on the thing that already works. So I think that's probably the reason why, why they did double down on Europe. Continuing on this point, Enrico, you've talked about the seedification and decentralization of private markets, particularly in Europe. What exactly do you mean by that? And in your mind, how does this change the way that European venture operates as an ecosystem with solutions like Bunch? On the one hand, five years ago, we had the Zalandos. We had a couple of big businesses. But if you look at the ecosystem where it is right now, we have so many more unicorns. We have so many more growing startups in the ecosystem. And we also have so many more funds that actually want to participate in the growth. So on seedification, we see that a lot more value is captured in the early stages of a company, relatively speaking. And uh, it is very difficult for big organizations, big VC firms to actually capture this upside because they need to be at the right place at the right time. We see our platform as one little puzzle piece because there are so many great operators in European businesses that actually think about funding a business or think about starting a business and might be funded by co-workers, might be funded by other individuals that they know from the family. This access needs to be leveraged and it needs to be monetized. That's what we want to do. Certification, in our view, value is captured very early on, and this cannot be driven purely by funds. This will be driven by individuals. This will be driven by founders. This will be driven by senior executives and the network that you have. That's why we are super excited about the current state of the ecosystem and the reinforcing of this ecosystem through a platform offering like ours. One thing that I would also love to add on this is I think this setting up a company has also become a lot easier over the last decade. Traditionally, if you wanted to start a company, you would have to buy large computers and all that kind of hardware stuff and have to rent an office or whatever it may be. They had a lot of expenses, which is why you would have typically a pre-seed round that would be covering those costs. This you don't really need these days anymore. Typically, the founders, they can get much, much further if they're a bit more resourceful, which is why the average round size then obviously increases because people 
race after they've built an MVP, for example. I think that also leads to the necessity to go a bit earlier in the sense of invest into younger companies because it's just been a bit cheaper to build great businesses. You both mentioned that there's a changing of the market structure where more investors can now participate thanks to the infrastructure. In your mind, how does this change the European ecosystem? And how do you think VCs will respond to this change in the ecosystem? We are at the spot where the US ecosystem probably was five years ago. And with a more decentralized, more distributed network of investors, I think a lot of more great businesses, great founders will pop up. Obviously, now we have an exciting time in the entire venture space, but generally we are extremely bullish and we are extremely excited that more unused capital is pushed into tech companies. I think we all agree, otherwise we wouldn't be here, that tech is eating the world and will continue to eat the world. That's why we are super bullish, because there is so much capital in Europe that is locked in or just sits on bank accounts. And we actually have or can play uh, uh, maybe now still a tiny role, but will play a significant role in unlocking this capital because there are guys who have amazing access and can help investing this money of friends and network. So very bullish here. To your second point, how is the VC world going to answer? I think this is a super interesting question because we see a lot of things, and probably Levin, uh, Levin can add to that. We see a lot of the big U.S. funds coming to Europe, coming to very, very early stages, doing Series A rounds, actually looking at seed rounds where t- smaller funds in Europe are struggling. On the other side, we are enabling a force that comes from the bottom up because now there is a business angel who might have an amazing investment precede a company who couldn't participate in later rounds because he didn't have the capital. But now he has the chance to actually monetize this access, monetize this parata right that he has, and continue investing. I think it will be quite challenging for a couple of smaller early-stage VCs if this push on both sides happen. On the other side, I think it will be more decentralized and therefore more exciting to be a founder in Europe in the next couple of years. I want to talk about this point of decentralization, which is really important. And Levent, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, that you're now creating this level of standardization. For those who aren't as familiar with the European markets in the past, would it have been harder for a founder or an angel in Germany to invest in a French company or in England to invest in a German company? And because of the infrastructure that you're building, are we now seeing a globalization of sorts where the standardization across Europe has made it easier for people to invest into various jurisdictions because of the entity creation that you're allowing? I think there's still a lot that needs to be done. It is still not super easy to invest across borders. You still need to figure out what do I need to do? How does it work with the taxes? Like your tax accountant always freaks out. What needs to happen and where we want to really be part of it is automating these kind of very standardized processes. Like you receive capital from a French corporate. You should get a document that quickly tells you and especially tells your personal tax accountant what he needs to do with this. What is even more complicated is if you were to invest together with friends that live somewhere else. And I think over the last decade and even before that, 
European networks have become much more intertwined. Like I lived in London for a while. There were people from all over Europe coming together. And those are dear friends. If you want to invest together with them, you really have to figure out how to do it. It's something that is incredibly challenging. People don't know, do I choose an entity in Germany? Do I choose a little London? Do we go to, I don't know, Luxembourg or whatever it may be? It becomes super complicated. We just want to be there to to establish a standard that works for everyone. That's how we think our infrastructure can help people leverage this European network more easily. On that point, where I want to go with this is you talk a lot about standardization. We've seen standardization happen in public markets. Now that infrastructure and standardization is moving towards private markets, and I think you have a vision that expands well beyond just SPV creation. And Enrico, if you could maybe talk a little bit about how you're seeing the standardization of private markets unfold. And in your mind, how do you build the vision and railroad tracks for the standardization of private markets to look more like the way public markets do? Exciting topic. And I think 100%, as you said, we see ourselves as the rails towards that. As public markets are really standardizing the asset itself, the company, the reporting structures, we truly believe in the standardization of the relation between investors, so one level above the asset. That's why for us, an SPV is, is like a go-to-market strategy. There is no better way currently to jointly invest than using an SPV, but this SPV currently is super intransparent. It is very expensive. It is always different because always different lawyers drafting them. I think a very good example of standardization in the private market is probably the YC Safe. It opened up such good change in the U.S. market because you could trust uh, against the standard. It's very early. It is very difficult, but the safe was always somewhat standardized. This is what we are trying to do with our templates. It's like a YC note. It's always the same. We know everything that can happen within our structures. Nothing fundamentally can be changed. And every single event is modeled in the platform. Today, it's really about investing into private assets. Tomorrow, we are obviously also thinking about this unit of an SPV, this unit of an SPV share. How can we sell this? Can you sell this? Can you sell this between your investors within the SPV? Can you sell this across your co-investors on bunch? I think there are a lot of things that have to be standardized in order to push, and Levin already mentioned that, push a bit more liquidity into the market and make private markets seem a bit more like public markets in terms of assets. To summarize, we truly believe in the diversity and in the upside of being private and not being as standardized a big public company. But we see a lot of opportunity in standardizing the relation between investors in order to give them something that speak in the same language. Levin spoke about Europe. Everybody speaks in a different language in Europe, mostly. But we both are complete Europe fans and we truly believe in this diverse set of investors, of people, of founders that can speak in the same language, in this case, our SPV standard. You're hitting on a really important topic for the creation of a much bigger business or product around private markets. I'll use the Carta example. Their atomic unit of value was the asset level. Once you understand asset ownership, you're able to then map that asset ownership through cap tables. You're then able to 
trade that asset ownership through a secondary market like Carta X. How do you think about that framework? Enrico, you just talked about this, and I'll ask this to you, Levent. How do you think about this framework as what the atomic unit of value is for Bunch and why that atomic unit of value, whatever it is, is so important for building out a broader platform? The way we're looking at what we're building is we want to build an operating system for private markets. The best wedge to get there is the SPV because of multiple reasons. One of them is that you don't have to necessarily be at the asset level per se, but you can create a layer of liquidity level above. This level above is what Enrico also mentioned. It's on the one hand, the relationships between the investors. On the other hand, on that level, you receive the reporting data of the underlying asset, you receive partially the banking data, you receive basically a better view of the underlying asset. And you can come from the other side of the ball game. Carta comes from the startup, essentially. The SPV approach comes from the investor side of things. And I think the beauty there is that investors are multipliers of this product. Investors that use the SPV strategy pull in their network and their friends into deals who in turn pull other people into deals. The other interesting part is if you look at alt as a wider asset class, those investors, they don't just invest into startups. They invest into real estate. They invest perhaps into funds. They invest into all kinds of assets, which you would be really loud out from if you would just be at the startup asset level. With our approach, we really hope to build a tool for investors that brings them to the platform, that keeps them on the platform, and then with the SPV and its atomic unit of tradability, creates almost a marketplace for investors to then trade their interest in different private assets. You've both mentioned the bigger business and vision or expansion of an alts platform, and you both mentioned network effects. To appreciate an alts business, you have to understand that aspect of thing of the network effects of this business. Enrico, I'd love to hear from you. How do you think about building out the network effects for a business like this? And what does that really mean for a platform like Bunch, as well as the customers that you're serving in terms of horizontal expansion? We've talked about this, written about the idea of alts businesses hiding in plain sight. And I think when you both talk about this, that's exactly what you're talking about, is that there's a much bigger business here to build than where you're starting initially. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I think Levin touched already briefly on it, and I mentioned it before. The SPV is a go-to-market strategy for us, and the network effects that we already see, why are we so excited? I think the customer group that we are serving is one of the most exciting groups that you can serve. You have on the one side people with a lot of access, and you have the other side people who have a lot of capital to deploy. Currently on our platform, we have investors who invest 2.5K, and we have investors who deploy 20 million. We have roughly 500 investors on the platform, and we have a closer relationship with the lead investor, as we call them, or a GP, a classical deal maker. They're around 50 or something. I think this is just the proof point. We have 50 investors that onboarded 450 more that are qualified leads on our platform that actually are looking for more access that we can give them on the platform. It is very exciting to see how how one GP lead investor can bring his network onto the platform. But it's also very exciting to see, and it just recently happened again, that one of these co-investors, rather passive users of the platform, says, okay, 
my friend just did this deal in this startup. Why was it so easy? And why am I not doing this? And they became the new lead investor. So these, I think, two exciting things that prove from our perspective that our go-to-market strategy is the right way and that network effects are very strong already. Secondly, where do we build from that? The spectrum of 2.5K to 20 million is actually where we will go. We will go bigger, finding more capital to deploy to people that have access. What we're currently doing is onboarding. <laughs> we are in the onboarding phase of the Bantra S to deploy more network effects, which is actually matching people and connecting people and interacting on the platform in the future in order to drive investments and drive value creation on the platform. So very excited. And I think already a couple of proof points in this regard. Two questions, one stemming from that on the concept of the professionalization of venture in the ecosystem you're operating in in Europe. Do you see the European ecosystem coming to Bunch as the starting point for many people to begin their investing careers? And this is the way that they build a track record, much like people started SPVs on AngelList and then were able to build into a fund. Is that how you envision this platform unfolding where you're giving people the opportunity to, as you say, Enrico, monetize their access. Once they monetize their access or deal flow, they're then creating a track record. Then they'll be able to build funds. Is that part of the vision, Levent? Maybe you take a stab at this first because you were with a venture fund. So you saw it from both sides, running a fund, but also doing SPVs for later stage deals. Is that how you think about the evolution of this platform and the tools that it provides the Enrico, as you say, the $2,500 investor all the way to the $20 million investor? I think it's a very interesting thing. And it, it is something that is very close to my heart. One of my missions with Bunch, if someone sets out to become a venture investor, you have to have the right network from the beginning. Otherwise, it's doomed. You will never be able to start small, essentially, unless you're very rich or you know the right people. And I think the platform that we are building is supposed to enable those people with great expertise, with access to unique opportunities to bring those this expertise and use this expertise and connect those people with people that have liquidity. It's so obvious. For example, I know a lot of cool startups. I know a lot of people that have the necessary liquidity to invest, but me as a startup founder, I'm currently lacking a bit in the liquidity side of things. I think it is a great way to start out your career if you want to break into the venture investing space and you have the expertise and the access. But I also think on the other hand that the SPV itself is something that, could even become the status quo of investing. Because if you really think about it, there are obviously many benefits with having a fund. I completely see that and I completely understand. The thing that sometimes where, where I start to think about are these opportunity funds where people basically raise a second fund a bit larger for the opportunities that come up within the fund and within the portfolio. I personally think that all of those opportunities should be done via SPVs because as an LP, you then have a much better understanding of the asset because the manager you're with was invested for many years. So they know whether it's a good company, a bad company or, or great opportunity or not. And you can decide how much of your capital you want to deploy into this. At the same time for the GP, it's also a great opportunity because they can actually think about 
not having to, I would say, dilute their carried interest. I think it's a very interesting opportunity on that front as well. So I think for the investors, both uh, GPs and LPs, it's actually almost a preferred option to the old school opportunity fund approach. On that point, I want to ask both of you this question because you may have similar views or you may have different views, but I totally agree that the rise of SPVs has enabled people to access deals and maybe even enabled earlier stage funds to go upstream. And if they have the dry powder or LP relationships can write a much bigger check into a later stage deal, whereas before everyone would have stayed in their lane. How do you think about that as part of the evolution of the venture ecosystem where people aren't necessarily staying in their lane as much, in large part due to the rise of these SPV infrastructure tools that enable a smaller fund to maybe write a 10 or $15 million check into a later stage deal, whereas they wouldn't have before and those allocations might have just gone to a few bigger funds. But maybe the founders want those investors in the deal who are smaller and have been with the company for a longer time. So how do you think about that, both from obviously you're building the infrastructure to enable that, but also just from the development of the VC ecosystem? We spoke with a very large fund. And when they told us that Looking at their overall returns that I think enormous amount, like way more than 50% of all the returns over the lifetime can come from just a handful of deals. And that's something that actually shows you that what you're saying, not staying in your lane and making use of your parata rights and perhaps the Uber paratas even in the Series D stage, that can be the thing that really matters in the end. That can be the thing that really, really moves the needle. And I think actually... It's an interesting thing to think about because, yes, on the one hand, like people with the right dry powder behind them will continue to invest into the top performing assets as much as they can. On the other hand, it means that the larger, later stage funds, funds will have to go earlier and earlier to make sure that they have an allocation when they realize that it is an outlier company. So I think in the end, it will lead to an even more competitive venture ecosystem where the best companies will be able to increase their valuations and raise bigger rounds, while for the funds, it will become a bit more of a bloodbath, I think. A bloodbath is perhaps a bit aggressive, but it will become a lot more competitive. No, I think you're right. On the point of competition, VCs will have to earn their place on a cap table. And both of you have mentioned this, that different types of investors, whether they be founders or operators, can add value to a business in maybe different ways than other investors can. So Enrico, how do you think about that question and what Levent was saying from the perspective of the founder in terms of what a VC or an investor will have to do to earn their place on a cap table as companies grow and as this SPV creation enables people to maybe size up their checks if they're a really valuable investor to a business? 100% our business, when we started it, we really valued and really were looking for business angels that complement anything that we not bring and help us in the first stages of the company and truly value Ramin and Embedded because there were tremendous help in the beginning. But we also had amazing tax advisors in our cap table. We had a lawyer, we had investors on board and obviously they brought their knowledge at the right time. But I feel like these in investors who don't only 
do this and really want to become more professional investors, actually use their pro rata, continue investing, they will be valuable to us as founders continuously. So 100% buying in into the competition piece of, of Levent. We're just looking at our cap table, looking at our investors that we have on our cap table. I'm very excited. I'm excited about our funds, but I'm also very, very excited and very humbled about the business angels that we got on our cap table. And I would hope that some obviously also through financial incentivization, like keeping their stake and protecting their dilution, be a close advisor to our business continuously until the later rounds and the next. So I think, yes, more competition and I, I also think that there are some amazing business angels, which you tend to forget because, oh, wow, there's the fund, uh, ABC, but they will have a new voice through something like that. It's a perfect segue, Enrico, into another trend that we're seeing happen really all over, but it's been recently chronicled in Europe, which is the rise of VC scout programs and founders investing in other founders. So. How have you thought about that? I know you have some scout programs that either work with you or are planning to work with you. What's your view on this trend in terms of enabling scout programs to be created? And how would you also think about now having seen scout programs operate the advice for founders? You yourselves are founders too, but balance the operating and investing. And maybe Levent, start with you and then hear your thoughts as well, Enrico. Yeah, it's super, super interesting. I think the whole topic of scout programs, even to put it differently, I think the topic of operator investors is something that we really believed in also before we started Bunch. So when thinking just about if I want to start a company in the, in the education space, I would love to have this Series D stage education tech founder as an angel investor because they obviously know the customers that I want to sell to. They know the partners that I will have to work with. They know the funds that are interested in this segment. So it's the best type of investor you can have. However, a lot of times those investors, those operators, they might not have done their, their exit yet. So they don't have the necessary liquidity to become prolific angel investors. Because realistically, you need to do 20, 30, 40 investments for it to be a sensible thing to do. So what happens is that a lot of these people, they're not that prolific an angel investor. They do the due diligence. They look at the companies. They help where they can because it's just what you do as a founder. But they don't really benefit from it as much as they could. And we believe that the traditional scout programs that you have, they lack a bit on the financial incentive side. So you as a scout, you may do a ticket out of a big bucket and then you will wait 10 years and you will see is your investment the one that really drove performance, but perhaps it got diluted by the bad investments of other people. You're not as interested in also keeping the relationship with the startup going and pushing that forward. So we believe that actually the scout programs should be something that should be a bit more selective and that should also be financially attractive for the people that are the scouts so that they are actually also incentivized to help the way that they should. And yeah, I think that there are ways of structuring it in that way, but you need to have the fund also that wants to build it in that form. You're bringing up a good point on the construct of the infrastructure, but also balancing that with the 
identity that an investor has from being part of a vehicle versus being directly on a cap table. Enrico, how do you think about this question where like in the past, maybe investors want to be directly on the cap table because there's some significance of saying, hey, I'm on the cap table. I'm an investor directly on the cap table. Other people are going to see that versus a number of smaller investors being rolled up into an SPV and still being an investor in the business, participating in the business, but they're in an SPV and they're one of many. So maybe there's that novelty factor that's no longer there. How do you think about that from both the company and investor perspective? I think there is an exciting perspective, which you might add is a German perspective, because looking at German, <laughs> you're coming from the US, you also have the notary. So being on the cap table means going to the famous or infamous notary. I'd be very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe coming to that uh, in a second. But to your question, what we see, uh, and actually we also rolled up our angels, and I would hope that if you call either one of those, and obviously they are more active and more passive angels, but if you call either one of those, we have a really, really good relationship with them because in the end, it doesn't really matter if you're on the cap table. There is financially no difference. There is just a, a bureaucratic difference. What we see, the investors who really want to engage with you, who are really valuable, they are valuable in an SPV and on the cap table. And as a founder, you want to spend as less time as possible on uh, bureaucratic stuff. So I think what we see in Germany, what we see in Europe, coming rapidly are these angel pools to keep the founder focused on the business. And from an investor's perspective, I would just say nothing changes. If you want to be engaged, you are engaged. So I think there are upsides on both sides. I think one thing to add here that the form that you interact with your angels still matters. I think there's one thing of just being rolled up and you receive an email every now and then. But for example, with our product, each angel has their own portfolio on Bunch. So they see their asset, they see how it's developing, they see the questions and the updates that the founder is giving and can also interact on there straight with them and vote in the shareholders meetings, etc. So there is actually a lot of things that you can do even in a pooled format to facilitate this kind of relationship and this feeling of being part of the journey by offering in this uh, digital format. That's a great point. I want to double down on that point because what it really means is something you've mentioned, which is you're building this operating system for both investors and for companies or even funds eventually because you can service funds as well. On that point, Enrico, when you think about the operating system, what are some of those features that you both have talked about that are so important in doing that in terms of creating continual updates, making sure people feel like this is the place to go as opposed to other places? Because there's so many different places where people can get access to private markets now. A very good question. I would look at it from two angles. When we started this journey, it was a clear operating system for investors. We, as founders, just realized, hey, <laughs> Why don't we use this product for our angels? Because actually the interaction is the same way between a GP his or her LPs and the founder and his or her investors. I think that just being said in terms of trying to understand why the founder now is part of our operating system, even though our mission is building an operating system for private market investors. What are the key features? We try to 
give you time back. We are trying to put all the boring stuff, as we used to call it, on our platform. That doesn't mean our platform is boring. That just means everything that you got from WhatsApp, email, and other interfaces you have at one platform is really the first task that we brought is collecting multiple values to the customer into one shop. Usually I try to split the platform a bit in three parts, which are establishing a deal, telling a bit about a story. Every investor knows, writing a bit of a memo. You can do this on Bunch. The second big part, which scares off all your LPs is KYC. And we're trying to find a clear solution that solves most investors in Europe 100% digitally and get everybody else on board more and more digitally. And the third part is really onboarding digitally and portfolio reporting. As Levin said, you can participate in a different way because you actually now know what is going on. And again, we are in Germany and there are a lot of good things about Germany, but there are also a lot of bad things about Germany. One thing is... Business angels still print stuff. One, because they need to, because they still needed to go to the notary. And, and second, because, I don't know, uh, old school. So we bring something from your cupboard into the digital space, creating new interaction points because you now are closer to your startup because you actually know what matters because the founder can, or the lead investor can tell you what matters. So I think it's really about bringing holistic solution onto one front end, into one value proposition to the customer. And that's why we truly believe in partnering with the right infrastructure providers, which we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, into one operating system. Where does this lead to? Today, it is the lead investor's bit put into a structure that we give him because obviously we're trying to limit a complex problem. But I think what we currently already see is we will open up this again. As you can think about a very simple CRM in the beginning, everything you had to do in a certain way. In the future of Bunch, you as a lead investor, you as a founder can really use this as an operating system, as a software solution for you to report different numbers, to onboard in a different style, and so on and so on. So bring flexibility to the users again in order to become an operating system, while today we are a very good software solution, but not yet a flexible, adjustable operating system. It's a great way to bring this whole podcast full circle because you talked about the atomic unit of value. As you mentioned, Levent, you talk about the evolution of Bunch you talk about how that's part of the broader ecosystem and the vision for the business, which is all awesome to hear. What I'd love to do now is ask a question I always ask every investor or founder who comes on the podcast, which is, and you do this for a living and you see plenty of investments, but what is your favorite or most interesting alternative investment right now? Levent, I'll start with you. Okay, interesting. So my favorite alternative investment Probably, so what I looked into recently is an investment that Insight did in the U.S. Actually, it's a company called Agora. They are building a software tool for real estate investors, and I think it's a super interesting approach. I think the real estate asset class is really exciting because it's huge. It's well understood by a wide base of investors, and I think in the U.S. the market is also big enough to just focus on that. And I think it's an exciting company that I will closely follow to see how they will be doing. I don't want to make you 
divulge anything you don't want to, but my guess is your infrastructure could also handle the real estate space as well. I mean, we built it in a way, right, that we say we built the financial infrastructure layer. And on top of that, we create a legal layer. And what lies within these legal wrappers doesn't really matter so much what it is. We'll keep tabs on that and we'll follow that in future years. Enrico, what about you? (laughs) Interesting point, Levin. I think uh, currently, I hope I don't uh, sound weird, but I'm obviously super excited of the company that we're currently building. Eleven and me have our heads down tremendously and proud on obviously what we have achieved, but I think proudest of the people that we currently gather around us. And I see new things evolving. As Levin said in the beginning a bit, we are currently growing. There are things happening. When we started, Levin and me knew everything. And we are now obviously still involved in everything. But now things happen where I wake up and I thought, okay, this is what I still need to do. And it already is done because there are new things evolving. And I'm super excited about our team. I'm super excited about our company. In terms of other companies that I thought and saw, I think Figma just recently exited to Adobe. I'm using Figma. I'm doing a product at Bunch. I'm using Figma, I think, more or nearly as much as I use uh, Gmail. So I think they build an amazing product and it's exciting or maybe not exciting to see that they are now with Adobe, but this is a platform that I truly value and would love to have invested in the pre-seed, I would say. Well, what's fantastic about what you're building is that you'll be enabling investors to build, you're building the infrastructure to invest in the next great Figma that does get acquired for $20 billion and it'll be done through a bunch SPV and that SPV or vehicle will be on somebody's cap table. Fingers crossed. I have no doubt. It was a pleasure to have you both on the podcast. Fascinating episode. Thanks so much for coming to tell the bunch story and also really giving an insight into why alts are going mainstream in Europe and why you're powering that revolution. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Michael. It was a pleasure. Absolutely, Levent and Enrico. Thanks so much for coming on the Alt Goes Mainstream podcast. Pleasure to have you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alt Goes Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my Substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Sigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going mainstream.